Jesus is alive. Amen. <laughs> this is the glory of Easter. This is what we've been talking about. Man, that music was good. The darkness of the crucifixion has given way. And our Savior bore our sins in His body on the cross. That darkness has given way. And the sun has risen to reveal that the sun has risen. He defeated death. Death has no sting anymore. He defeated Satan. Satan has no jurisdiction over us and our lives anymore. Amen. He defeated sin's power. Sin no longer has hold over us anymore. Because he is alive. The Messiah lives. The Savior lives. And he is delivering us. And saving us from our sins. The Lord lives. So we can joyfully serve him. Our good shepherd lives. So we who believe in him can hear his voice now. Our hope lives. So we're free to live lives of joy. No matter what. I want to read to you from 1 Peter chapter 1 here. 1 Peter chapter 1. Starting at verse 3, I'm going to read through verse 9. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which, per- which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Some of us have lived through many Easter's. We've listened to cantatas. We've hunted many an Easter egg. We've eaten many a chocolate Easter bunny. And some of us may not be able to help but wonder... What does this resurrection really mean for me? What am I really celebrating? Today I just want to focus on one result of the resurrection for us. Something that will be very practical for our lives. In this first verse it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Becoming a Christian is about new birth. The Bible says we become new creatures. This is only possible through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through His resurrection, we are given new birth. It's a new birth into a life of living hope. You were a murderer on death row. You knew that your time was up, and you deserved it. Your last meal had been served, but you couldn't eat it because you had no appetite. Because you knew that within a matter of days, your execution that you deserved was coming. And the guards came, and they were taking you down the hall. 
And your footsteps were echoing down this cold hall toward your deserved execution. And then at the last moment, the phone rang. And you were pardoned. And you were set free. And you were released from this prison. And out in the open air in the sunshine. Only to find that the man who pardoned you was there waiting for you. And when you approached him, he said, Now that you're pardoned, I'm going to be with you from this point on. And I'm going to help you live your new life. You deserve death, but you've been given new life. This man who pardoned you was your only hope for pardon. Your only hope for salvation. And now he's your only hope for daily life. That's the gift God gave us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We deserve death. But instead of us dying, Christ died. Instead of the death we deserve, we got life. A new life. Found in God, who now we can finally see. Being born again is a lot like a blind woman. A blind woman whose husband has taken wonderful care of her for years. This man has driven her where she needed to go, read her the paper in the morning, taken care of her every need as she goes through her life blind. And then one morning she wakes up. And she can see. For the first time in her life, she can see. And she rolls over. And she sees this man laying beside her who has cared for her. She's never seen him before. And now she can't take her eyes off of him. This new sight is part of this new birth. Thanks to the new birth we have in Christ, we can see God. For the first time. We have eyes to see now. The Jesus that we used to mock or ignore... Now is our most glorious hope because He's our living Savior. Those who are born again grow. They grow. They develop a taste for God's Word and prayer and fellowship with other new creatures, other believers. And they grow in love and gentleness and kindness and mercy. They grow in all these ways because they can see the living hope that is found through Jesus, through this Word. Now, some of you must be thinking, I've been around for a while. I've been around Christians for a while. And they don't look like newly born, different creatures. They look a lot like everybody else. And some of you might be thinking, well, I'm a Christian, but I've got to tell you, I don't really read my Bible. I don't crack it open. I don't pray. I don't feel as though Jesus is my living hope. Some of you may be thinking, I just don't feel any different. Some of you may be thinking, I wish I could feel this way, but I just don't. See, there's two things that happen to us. The first one we've talked about for the last couple of weeks. I'm not going to dwell on it today. But the first thing that happens is that often we think we believe because we believe certain facts. But we've yet to place our faith in a saving way on Jesus Christ. Some of us may not resemble new creatures because we may not be new creatures. Like I said, I'm not going to dwell on this because we did that the last couple of weeks. And today's a lot more hopeful. You can get the CDs if you'd like. They're available. The second thing that happens is that some of us are new believers. We are new creations. We are newly born. But we're still infants. Some of us are believers. We are Christians. We have the new birth that Christ bought for us on the cross. But we're still infants. My daughter Lillian... It's about five weeks old now. If you hear any little baby noises in the room, that's probably her. Before that, 
She lived for months in Meredith's womb. It was a cozy, dark place out there. In there. That's where she lived. Every once in a while we'd see her kicking around in there. We knew she was in there. And that's all she knew. That was her world for months. And then all of a sudden, I don't know where, she's ripped from this, this womb into this brightly lit, open air, cold world by these, this doctor's hands. When Lily was born, I couldn't believe how hard the doctor seemed to be pulling on her head. She came out head first, which is good. And he like gripped around her, her jaws and just pulled her out. I guess he knew what he was doing. But it was a harsh awakening into a whole new world. And the first thing they did, since things went well, we were able to do this, they took her immediately and put her in Meredith's arms. Now she had been surrounded by Meredith her whole life. But now all of a sudden she is born and she meets her mommy for the first time. And I think our new birth is a lot like this. We've been surrounded by God our whole life. But when we have the saving faith in Christ and His death and resurrection, we're newly born. And we're swept into a whole new world where we have eyes to see God. And we, for the first time, we're alive to God. We meet this God that has been around, that we've heard about. But finally, it's like we see Him. And it's all new. And you know, Lillian, being five weeks old, she's capable of only a very few things. She can sleep. She can drink milk. She can cry. She can look heart-meltingly adorable. And that's about the extent of it right now. She can't greet me when I come in. She hasn't figured out how to formulate words into conversation with me. She hasn't figured out how to give me a hug. She's an infant. I wouldn't expect her to. Elias has figured these things out. He's been around for a little bit longer. I think many of us remain in this infantile state in our new birth. And that's why it doesn't seem like we're new creatures all the time. That's why when we try to pray, it just doesn't seem natural. It's like we haven't developed these language skills yet. And that's why when we open God's Word, it just doesn't seem to quite make sense. It's a maturing process. A brand new believer should never be expected to be a prayer powerhouse. Should never be expected to be a Bible scholar. Because it's a growth and maturing process. But the question is, are we growing? Are we growing in this new life, this new birth that Christ pays so much for us to have? Are we growing in the living hope that we have? Christianity is unique because you can remain an infant for years and years and years. I shared with the youth this morning that I remained a Christian infant until I was eight years into my faith. And then I finally started to get a very vague clue about how to read the Bible and how to pray. And that's not uncommon. There are people who remain Christian infants for decades. And I share with the youth too. Picture, you know, I give Lillian a bottle. She's getting a bottle right now, as a matter of fact. Some of us remain bottle-drinking, diaper-wearing Christians for 50 years. Just picture me holding this 50-year-old out of a giant bottle. <laughs> And I'm not saying this in a condemning way. I'm just trying to open our eyes that we're new. We're new creatures and we need to work to grow. I mean, it's hard for Lillian. I've read somewhere that it's really hard to be a toddler because all their hair is, no, you can't do that. Go do this. Constant correction. Growth is hard. It is, but it's so worth it. My prayer is that this Easter will grow in our new life, in our new hope. 
It'll take different amounts of time for different ones of us. And I didn't think through this too well. I probably should, but I don't even know if I've shared this with Meredith. I didn't learn how to ride my bike until I was in middle school. I think the upper grades in middle school, if I remember correctly. Maybe even eighth grade. That's pretty embarrassing. I was embarrassed. All my friends rode their bikes, and I was just like, no, I don't want to ride my bike. Yeah, I'd rather run. I was just so embarrassed. I just never figured out why. And I, I think it had to do, I blame my mom for it, because she got me a bike when I was young. We had a huge hill in front of our house, and she just sort of got me on there and just let me go. And into a bush. I, I spoke about it. I thought it was going to be really hard. I thought it was going to be so hard to learn how to ride my bike. Because it doesn't even make sense with gravity. I mean, you're on these narrow little wheels. It doesn't even make any sense. Or at least I didn't think so. But once I finally tried it, I, I kind of got the hang of it. And I think for some of us, that's the way growing in our, our spiritual lives is as well. I mean, some of us, this thing, just doesn't even, it doesn't even make sense how this can work. Read this book. I don't even like to read. Well, I hope you've tried it. Try it. All my friends were like, just try it. It's a bike. We're all doing it. People are doing it. I have learned how to read the Bible. And I am not a super smart guy. Sometimes it's just a matter of just trying. Because that's how you grow. This Jesus in the flesh was God's word in human form. This is God's word in print form. And it's by this that we grow. So that's why really an Easter message about our hope in the living Christ can't really be separated from a message about how we need to be in the Word. Because this is the only way we can experience it. Are we growing? Are we growing in this living hope? You know, God's Word isn't only true, it's very helpful. I hope in our church that we will more and more help our people learn how to grow in their new life in Christ, in their new and living hope. And I hope this because this is our living hope. And this is how we know about it. Our best hope for overcoming personal struggle and personal sin and personal difficulty is our hope of faith in the living Jesus Christ who died for us. That's our best hope. I mean, we can work hard and we can check out self-help books and we can try to figure things out. But none of that holds a candle to the hope we have in Christ. Our best hope in loneliness or depression or these things that plague us is our living Savior. He lives for a reason. It's a living hope that's with us. Our best hope to make it in marriage is that both partners are growing to be more Christ-like, growing in their living faith, their living hope in Christ. Dr. Phil has a lot of good tips, but he's missing <laughs> The true hope that each person would grow in Christ-likeness. That's really the only hope for something as, as preposterous as marriage. That two people could come together and be together forever. In the face of layoffs and financial crisis, our best, most sure living hope is our risen Christ. Because he's promised to provide what we need. He says, look at the, the, fields, the flowers in the field. I give them clothes to wear. Look at the birds in the sky giving food to eat. Have faith in me. It's all about having faith in him and this hope that we have in him. He's promised that we can do all things through him who strengthens us. The best hope for our city, Charlotte, is that we Christians 
would just start to grow to be more like Christ. And to grow in our living hope in Him. That's the best hope for our city of Charlotte. That's the best hope for our world. It's not about programs. It's about Christians, little Christs, literally, that, that grow to look more like Him because they're growing in their living hope. As I was getting dressed this morning, I put on my new tie. You guys like this? My wife got this for me. A new tie. It's really nice. I like it. Very Eastery. And it's the first time I've worn it, so it still had the this thing on there. This is what keeps it neatly folded. And I was looking at it, I just kind of caught my eye. It's Jeffrey Bean. I guess that's how you pronounce it. Geoffrey. Bean. But on this tag, it has prominently says, Hope, Cure, Life. Jeffrey Bean gives back. Hope, Cure, Life. Jeffrey Bean gives back. Inside, it gives you a little bit more information. Thank you for your purchase of this Jeffrey Bean, Bean garment, as it will make a difference. <clears throat> Over $80 million has been committed for causes supporting cancer research, Alzheimer's initiatives, protection of women and children, protection of welfare of animals, scholastic and educational endowments. Enjoy your new tie, because nothing feels better than giving back. Hope, cure, life. Is Jeffrey Bean bringing more hope to our world? Then Dolan's Grove? Is Jeffrey Bean bringing more life to the world than we are as Christians? Because, man, I mean, it's great what they're doing. I'm so glad they're doing these things. It's wonderful. All these things I support. It's absolutely wonderful what they're doing. But yet still, they're missing the living hope. They're offering hope and cure and life. But they're missing the hope and the cure. And the life. And we have it. We have the hope. We have the cure. We have the life. And we need to celebrate that today. This is what Easter is about. This is the glory of Easter. We need to celebrate it today. And we need to take it with us. Because it's a living hope. And a living cure. And a living life. That Christ bought for us. Through his death and resurrection. So we need to carry it with us. In our workplace. Everywhere we go. In our schools. And as we grow in this, as we grow from infants to people who, who know Christ well, have a relationship with them, people will begin to see it in us. And then the joy and hope of Easter will spread throughout the entire year. And the joy and hope of Easter will spread throughout the entire city, not just in our sanctuary, not just in our kitchens as we eat our, our lunch today. It will spread through the entire city. This is what Jesus, after all of this, his final words to his disciples was, okay, I've done all this. It's finished. Now you go. Go and make disciples. Make people who will grow in faith in me. So this Easter, let's get out of here. Let's go. Because we have hope. And we have the cure. And we have life. I want to close with the same verse I read after the end of the sunrise service. Because it's very good.
And once I close with that, we're going to sing. And eventually, after we fellowship for a while, we're going to go home. And I just pray that we'll all grow in this hope together. And I pray that it would burst out of our very pores as we continue to grow more and more and more. And that the world around us would be affected by it. That's what Easter's all about. It's glorious. And it's such a privilege for, for us sinners to be a part of it. This verse I'm going to read is Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is my prayer for our congregation. And may this be true of us today, and even after Easter passes on the calendar and the days to come. May this hope overflow out of us. That's my prayer.